Hello everyone and welcome to the Sunday show. Today's topic of our weekly show is the impact of the media on the society. My name is Artem and I'm joined as always by my co-host Sergey. Hello, how are you? Nice to hear you Artem. Nice as usual. Uh, I'm great. Thank you. Thank you for this warm um, invitation to our podcast for for our listeners. Uh, you always uh, charge us with uh, you know positive energy and uh, I, I would say some drive to uh, discuss interesting topics. And uh, yes, I, I'm 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 very excited of being uh, on this discussion with you again this week. And uh, yes, uh, what about you? How how do you feel about our today's topic? And what emotions uh, would you like to share with our listeners? Well, emotions are going to be the very precise topic of the first foreseeable part of our podcast today. And I'm feeling pretty good. Thank you. So. Let's just delve a bit into what we are planning to discuss today. And I thought that we could stop by a few key topics. So the first one would be historical role of information and all of the social processes that are ongoing in our society. And another one is the impact of mass culture on modern society. Basically, I think all of those topics are extremely important right now as they pose an existential um, meaning right now uh, in the current state of society, if we take a look at it just at this precise moment in 2023. And I wanted to start with the historical role of information, just so we could reference a bit better for the... uh, for the modern times. And at the same time, As with all things, I think we should start with the beginning, and I guess the beginning of historical role of information starts in the first um, civilized societies that we have had, and those societies, I think the ones that are most important to mention are the societies of ancient world, so basically Romans, Greeks, and so forth. And I guess it's extremely in. It's extremely fascinating for me, especially about the ancient Rome. I'm a big fan of this topic. I'm, you know, I'm liking those memes about the uh, about the ancient Rome. Like, what do men think about? So, how often do you think about Roman Empire? By the way, <laughs> uh, honestly, honestly, uh, I have very interesting story of my relations with. Uh... Uh, topic of uh, ancient Rome history because uh, initially uh, me as a person genuinely interested in history I did not pay attention to this topic at all for some reason I don't know why but for some reason I didn't find this topic interesting and attractive and uh, maybe until uh, very um, 
late period of my life uh, I, I didn't even try to uh, dive into this topic and explore it uh, more or less uh, in details uh, but uh, recently I decided that uh, this topic really uh, deserves my attention and I decided to uh, explore it a little treat some um, uh, sources about history of ancient Rome, uh, watch some videos, uh, and uh, create some um, general uh, impression, let's say, for for myself, what what this uh, period of human history actually was, and I found it pretty uh, interesting. And uh, what actually uh, fascinated me the most is that uh, Roman heritage uh, is present uh, in many, many, many different uh, aspects of our life and... Um, Even in languages. Of course, not only languages, in many other aspects of life. And after uh, I, I discovered uh, this fact, uh, I honestly started to think about ancient Rome uh, quite often, much more often than previously, because uh like it was it is it was obvious for me that uh, latin languages like french spanish italian they in some sense are mm, descendants of latin language and uh, the alphabet the latin alphabet which uh, is uh, quite widespread in modern world it used not only by latin languages but also by germanic languages some slavic languages uralic languages and I, even some turkic languages uh I majority of, of them, them yeah majority of them actually are using uh are using latin script i think besides uyghur they uh they they don't implement it for um, for let's say all, all possible opportunities to use. They still they still use, uh, in some cases, uh, Arabic graphic and uh, Chinese hieroglyphs. So it's very unique, unique Turkic language. But it's it's not important uh, considering our today's topic. But yeah, uh, languages, uh, scripts, um, law system. Uh, political system. A lot of things are uh, resonating in modern world with ancient Rome. And uh, wh when I uh, see some mentionings, uh, I really start to uh, connect maybe unconsciously some modern events and uh, uh, I don't know, social phenomena, institutional uh, yeah, you Phenomenons. can always draw a parallel to, like to those exactly. events of the past. Exactly, and that's why uh, maybe it would sound uh, <laughs> ridiculous, but I started to think about ancient Rome uh, quite often. So yes, but um, maybe uh, I made uh, quite a profound. Uh, excursion into ancient Rome heritage in our modern world and maybe for our listeners uh, there were some mm, new aspects of of this topic uh, mentioned by me and I really hope that uh, they, they found them 
Interesting. But returning to our core topic of our today's discussion, uh, how would you describe a role of, uh, I wouldn't say media, but uh, like public information in uh, uh, ancient Rome's statehood and the society? How would you describe uh, this topic in general terms? Uh, actually, I would start with um, basically starting that um, in ancient Rome, they had some sort of news. So they had a government newspapers, let's call it that way for the sake of um, understanding, because they were called in original language, Acta de Urma. So basically government notices. And they were releasing all the information on their Senate meetings, on their discussions for the populace to see. And at the same time, they always had employed uh, a number of people who were supposed to read those news out loud for the people of all the city. Made Majority of those were in uh, region of Italy, but still, ideally, it would be all over the ancient Roman Empire or Republic. That's whenever you're looking into this time, the period, and this um, and this state. At the same time, it's really important to notice that people were really involved in all that was going on between different factions in the Roman Senate. So people knew what was going on, and they didn't knew it. Did they didn't know it only because they were like genuinely curious about it? Because they were interested because it affected their everyday lives. So, for example, one of the greatest exam for examples that we can have is the civil war between Julius Caesar and his opponents and they had really major differences uh, in how they viewed the state and how they wanted to work with the state so just a historic excursion Julius Caesar was a popular uh, that was the party quote unquote party in the Roman Senate Populars, they were for the people and like for free people, and he was opposing the optimates who were like for quote unquote better people, so the nobles. And basically, why people were involved because those two parties had different views on the taxation of the free population. Of course, Caesar was more in favor of lower taxes for the people to give them right to work on like small businesses like we would call them right now and optimates were like for big businesses like for big plantations that was the major difference also they were viewing differently the welfare system ancient rome had a welfare system which the world didn't have until correct me if i'm wrong i think 19th or 20th century so in ancient Rome, they were given out free bread every day, free food. And at the peak of the, let's call them ancient Roman food stamps, uh, they were given out half a million loaves of bread per day for the people who didn't have any any money to buy this food. So that's why people were really involved into pol into the media and into the politics, which were conveyed through this media. And this way, people were able to 
receive information on what was going on in the higher parts of society. And at the same time, they were able to give their opinion when they met those higher members of society. And the most important in that case, I think, is that whenever something happened with the country, like some war, once again, Caesar's example, when he went to war in Asia Minor, he sent back all the... um, those newspaper men who were telling people that Caesar came, saw, and conquered. This famous quote that's used all the time, I came, I saw, I conquered. It was used only for the populace. It was used for the people to know how how well their state does. Uh, so basically, uh, according to what you are saying, we can state that in ancient Rome, there was uh, officially a state propaganda uh, working for the public relations purposes of uh, the ruling class. Uh, am I right? Not exactly. So they, each party of those two populars and optimates, they could buy their own newspapers and their own, well, quote-unquote newspapers, it wasn't like newspapers in in modern way, but um, they could buy those proclamations that were made by the people who were proclaiming the news every day. So it's more like, um, I'd say, um, something like a political party magazine or political party newspaper, which was used by two parties in the Roman Senate. So basically, we can uh, admit that public relations, uh, in some sense, very similar to uh, the modern form of this uh, marketing activity, were existing back then, 2000 years ago, right? Yeah, exactly. And they used all various sorts of uh, public stunts, like... uh, uncovering some ancient myth about some family that's can never be defeated if they go to Africa like Scipio's. So they were using that extensively. And it was affecting the public, and it was affecting public morale, and it was affecting public life in general. So it's it was extremely important back back then, like two thousand years ago. Well or maybe two two thousand and one hundred by now. Sure, I think it's quite interesting uh, detail about the life uh, of uh, ancient society and how political figures in uh, that world were able to uh, influence the public opinion. Uh, But what is interesting for me, um, how can we uh, connect our modern uh, mass culture with uh, some uh, sort of uh, equivalent in uh, in ancient times. Like right now, we have a lot of TV shows. Uh, bloggers are uh, releasing new YouTube videos every single. I don't know for some 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 of them doing it every single day, some every every week. And people have a lot of sources of entertaining and uh, receiving different. Uh, you know. I'm not. I'm not ready to say sources of information because it's more connected to what we have already discussed. Uh, like more, entertainment. More about, 
more inter- more about entertainment. Uh, what form of entertainment in terms of, you know, mm, like in any, any terms similar to modern mass culture uh, existed in uh, ancient Rome? I don't think it was like um, the mass mass culture. It was more like for the nobility. And they also had actors, they had uh, theatrics, they had everything that we have right now. But at the same time, the opinion towards the actors was completely different. In modern life, I think you notice that a lot of people really idolize those actors and those singers. Um that's going on tours, that's um, making some statements. They're really important figures. Back then, actors were like the lowest of the low because they were um, they were not considered seriously. They were just that, the entertainment. So basically, they were not respected by the society. Yeah. Yeah. How interesting. So they will not be able to uh, have a life of an influencer and eventually become, I don't know, for, for, for some, uh, <laughs> like I think the most uh, famous example is uh, Mr. Reagan, who became a United States president in uh, when, in 1970s or 80s, 1980s, I think. Um, and, yeah, I think seven, yeah. Uh, end of 70s. Yeah, so back back then, and uh, Mr. Schwarzenegger, yes, who he became uh, governor of California, I think. Yeah, but at the same time, I I think Reagan's example is not the best one because Reagan was the um, leading member of the Actors Guild, and he was conducting all the negotiations about the uh, laws for actors like. Uh, like their health care, like this stuff. So he was an organizer of stuff at the same time. So I wouldn't say that this this is a good example because he is, he was, to be more precise, a really involved person in the politics, even when he was an actor. So at this, at, at this part, yeah, but Schwarzenegger is a very good example, yeah. And yeah, uh, in ancient but... Rome, it wouldn't be possible. Yeah, like uh, this is what what I wanted to clarify for our listeners that uh, it's very interesting actually because uh, like for me it was uh, surprising like I I heard it before uh, that in uh, ancient times or or more precisely what I heard in medieval times um, different actors and singers uh, musicians. Uh, they were not very respected. And what I heard, I think it's it was my uh, philosophy professor. <laughs> like, he's quite popular on our podcast because, like, occasionally we refer to him. So I remember that he said back in the days that uh, actors and singers were not allowed uh, in medieval times to be buried in on uh, cemeteries uh, oh yeah that, that's because of the religious uh, con- concepts at the time I think that was because actors like changed faces uh, um, like almost literally for, because they were masks in the medieval times actually in ancient times as well um, I think you saw those masks of Italian actors 
Uh, yes, sure. I think there were like four masks of those. And whenever a person puts on another mask, it's like a, a sin of stealing identity or something. I'm not really <laughs> good at this part. Yeah. But uh, maybe you're, maybe you know, uh, did those superstitions exist also in ancient times uh, when paganism was uh, more widespread and Christianity uh, didn't, uh, didn't dominate in, in social? Show in, in a society. So, was it the case uh, back then in ancient times as well? Uh, well, it certainly wasn't a sin as far as far as I remember. But they were considered like very immoral people who are not very who are not display very good public morals. So that's why nobles didn't really want to have anything with them. Because the name of the family was way too important to tarnish with such uh, connections. <laughs> Fantastic. So back in the days, uh, public figures were much more obsessed with their reputation than nowadays, obviously. <laughs> Not only obsessed, they were, there were like laws in ancient Rome about the public morale. Octavian, Emperor Octavian, who was the first person who forced men to be in marriage, like to be married, otherwise they are considered immoral. And he also released laws on public morale. So whenever, for example, a woman was, a woman was cheating, she was deemed unvirtuous, and that was a crime in ancient Rome. And the same went for men, of course. That goes without well, saying. But they found the ways to like work around this law. As as result, yes. <laughs> of course, like less people, people are always doing the same. Um, talking about uh, different uh, customs, uh, rules, regulations, it's very interesting to observe how they change uh, with a flow of time. And uh, talking about. Uh, other times, time periods. Uh, I would like to ask you, uh, in just in general, uh, what about uh, other uh, periods of human history, of Western history, uh, for example, medieval ages? Uh, how did perception of, uh, let's say, that old type of media uh, has changed comparing to the ancient times. For example, uh, we can talk about uh, what was the center of society uh, in Middle Ages. It's definitely charge, charge. And uh, can you tell us something more about that period and how, what developments uh, took place back then? Yeah, sure. So the medieval times are one of the most interesting in that regard because that was before the printing press and at the early stages of the printing press. So we had no access to widespread use of information. And at the same time, we didn't have as much literate people at the time. So what was the center like with all the medieval history? It was the church. The Catholic Church in the Western Europe and Central Europe was the head of all the processes. So, like, um, whenever there were any any books written or any uh, anything written, that was written only by monks 
of the temple. So it was heavily, let's say it was heavily in favor of certain beliefs and of certain views. And of course, it started to change in 15th century with Martin Luther and Jan Hus. Both of those are the key figures in Protestant Reformation of the Church. And those two figures were the ones who used media, well, media, <laughs> information as the instrument to share their opinions with the world. Um. Talking about those uh, important, definitely important historical figures, can you tell us more what the uh, Protestantism and the Reformation uh, was and maybe is uh, nowadays? Because I think it's uh, worth uh, clarifying those uh, topics for our listeners. Uh, so can you just give us a short glimpse of, of, of those topics? Yeah, sure. So Protestantism is basic, um, let's call them a part of Christianity in which they believe that um, the church shouldn't be the heart of the Christian religion. It should be the hardworking people in general. And they believe that church's ways and um, their rituals are wrong because they are contradicting the Bible in some parts. And re uh, Reformation is basically changing the Catholic Church into something more modern in which it would be more effective and it would get rid of some of those rituals. So that's the important difference. One, one of them wanted to change the religion itself and get rid of Catholic Church in general and to start a new branch of Christianity and Reformation wanted to change the old customs. And that's why it's important to our case because since it was the center of public life back at the time, also because of the widespread use of churches and um, uh, church officials who were able to talk to people, that's where all the uh, education and information was spread. So, uh, talking about uh, their activities, can you tell us more how exactly uh, those uh, activists, let's say, were using uh, old type of media to achieve their uh, goals and uh, what real impact their activity uh, had uh, on the development of uh, societies of the West uh, back in the days and uh, what uh, what heritage of those uh, events we can observe uh, right now. I'll start with Jan Hus in that case. I think his example is one of the best. So Jan Hus wrote um, his ideas about the Catholic Church and how they should reform in Czechia, in modern Prague. And um, in well back in the day it was called bohemia and he spread those ideas on pieces of paper between students of prague prague was back in the day and still is a very saturated city in terms of universities and uh, people who receive higher education in there so 
um, back in the day, if I'm not mistaken, they had something like 10,000 or 15,000 students, which is a lot, abnormally lot. So uh, those ideas circulated between very educated people. And Jan Hus's ideas were very important to some priests who were spreading those ideas to um, to peasants all across Bohemia. And those ideas were very simple, like we need less regulations from the church, we need more freedoms, we need to, uh, uh, to start believing in God in a more efficient way than it was with Catholic Church, who is stuck in like ninth century and crusade eras. So that was his major idea. And it also affected a lot of Czech nobility in there so because they had more according to those beliefs by Jan Hus they had more they should have had more control over the local churches which something that they obviously liked and he spread this information in in written way which is the most important for us because with the approach of this with the beginning of use of those written ways of communication uh, it became more and more effective that was basically the first case where religious wars started in europe in general with the hussite war that started after the execution of Jan Hus, because almost all population of the country was really acquainted with his teachings and they loved them because they were really important for them. Since, once again, church, I will not emphasize this enough, church was the center of public life back in the day in the medieval ages. And something similar happened with Martin Luther. He was, a, I think, a German priest, and he wrote his famous 95 Theses, which he hung on the door, and everyone was able to read those theses and start an argument with him, well, theological argument. And that's also the way of using information as the, I'd say, the driving force of social development. I think that's extremely important. Uh, maybe you have some examples from that era or uh, there is something I missed. Uh, honestly, um, I, I think that uh, it's worth mentioning that besides uh, Calvin, uh, besides Luther, there was another uh, very important figure. Uh, his surname was Calvin. And even uh, nowadays, uh, I think in Switzerland, Calvinism is yeah. the most widespread branch of Protestantism. And yeah, I think what's, that's what, what is worth mentioning is that uh, those um, efforts on uh, of shaping uh, public opinion on what charge uh, should look like, on what uh, perception of God should people have, uh, affected Western society. I, I mean, the society of Western Europe and. Uh, uh, respectively, uh, North North America, where majority of Protestants who moved to northern uh, to New World uh, went, and uh, it's for me personally, it's fascinating to think that um, all the achievements of 
you know, reformations uh, happened primarily because of, uh, let's say, uh, old school propaganda and uh, how effective it was uh, even without uh, all those modern technologies we have in our disposal right now. And um, another point uh, <laughs> I would like to mention, uh, there, there are very, uh, there are two looters famous for people. I think maybe you want to, you know, distinguish uh, that. Martin so Luther people, King Jr. <laughs> definitely, yes. And uh, that Martin Luther uh, we were talking about right now. Like, maybe we should, uh, maybe maybe you, sh- you can uh, divide uh, those two uh, characters, historical figures, so people can more easily distinguish them and uh, don't, you know, mess everything up. Oh, yeah, in that case, yeah. So Martin Luther was a person who was living in Germany in the Middle Ages, and Martin Luther King Jr. is an activist from the United States of America who was living in the 60s, if I'm not mistaken, and who was fighting against segregation of African-American population and for equal rights and opportunities for his people. And actually, there is a very good similarity between those. I think most of them wanted to use nonviolence method of resistance, which is extremely important from the moral standpoint. Like both Martin Luther and Martin Luther King were heavily in favor of not taking up to arms, of not fighting for something that you should have, but by speaking for it and asking for it in a civilized manner. And actually, I want to mention that it's very uh, good point to mention that uh, this is the um, foundation of, uh, let's say, uh, public careers of those uh, activists, of those historical characters. And uh, it's worth remembering that the achievements their activity uh, had are just insane they are huge they basically reshaped uh, the society uh, western society two times uh, first martin luther did it in the in the medieval times 500 years ago according to our historical sources when uh, the reformation of charge uh, occurred and uh, martin luther king did the same in uh, in united states like 50 years ago like already more i think 60 yeah, but, something uh, at the same time it's important to remember that those methods uh in spite all you know uh, superstitions about their effectiveness they are working and it's possible to achieve very serious results by just um correctly organized media campaign and uh, this um, approach uh, media approach sometimes can be even more powerful than uh, many other ways in which uh, throughout our history states and societies were uh, you know changing like primarily it was it was war a violent way and uh, I think it's important to think about those characters as about those who uh, 
represent viable alternative to violent methods. Uh, besides those characters, I start to think about uh, famous uh, famous uh, I'm not sure if, if he was a monk, but he was also a social activist from uh, India. Like I, I started to think as, uh, Mahatma Gandhi. I don't think he was a monk. He was an educated person from uh, who was who got educated in England, I guess. But yeah, his ways yeah. of non-violent resistance. I was I was just thinking about that we should not call India India anymore. Have you heard that they were changing uh, their name? I because think it's I, Bharat, right, or something. Bharat, like yes. I could not remember, so I <laughs> sort of stuck on that point, trying to figure out what what, what is the current uh, name for this state Bharat, uh, so, yeah and talking about Gandhi I, re I really remember uh, uh, his uh, expression uh, which was uh, very important let's say um, oh, it, it was in some sense in the foundation foundation of movement he started in uh, uh, the middle of previous century when Bharat people were fighting for for their independence from uh, British Empire uh, and the saying uh, was expression was uh, there is enough for everyone's need but not enough for everyone's greed uh, and uh, I really think that it is great mm, approach to things and uh, I, I, I really hope that in our modern world we will have uh, movements which would promote uh, proper values uh, and in proper way and what inspires me is that we have those examples from the history as we're talking about Luther, Martin Luther King, Martin Luther about uh, Mahatma Gandhi, they all achieved their objectives. Uh, whatever public opinion is saying about them, because there are a lot of, you know, some, uh, how, how it called, um, elements. I, say. I mean, uh, opposite side of the medal of those uh, characters, yes. Uh, like we can find a lot of different information about, about those historical figures but still uh, if we just analyze their activities their impact on the society they are impressive and i really hope that um, modern trends uh, will be impacted by uh, such movements like those three we just discussed like uh, by martin luther martin luther king and mahatma gandhi i really hope that someone uh, as impactful as those three characters will appear in 21st century and, and this person will lead us to a brighter future. Uh, but uh, before we start talking about future, uh, let's uh, stop for a minute on our uh, present times. Uh, we all know that um, media are shifting uh, the way our society functions, the way people communicate and uh, the way people are receiving information. Uh, what do you think about current trends in media and uh, uh, what is your general impression on how uh, 
modern media are affecting society in different ways. Before we move to that, I just want to ask you real quick. Um, do you read news? In general? Honestly, honestly, I don't read news. I don't read news because uh, my friends are sending me the most important <laughs> updates if they, they happen. And maximum what I can do is I can just watch uh, some review, short review, 10-15 minutes on YouTube from some of my favorite bloggers who whom I trust, uh, but not more. And it was actually a conscious decision uh, to, sto- to, to sort of reshape the way I consume uh, this type of content. So yes, I, I don't read news. And what about you? Uh, I read them and I read them a lot. So that's why I wanted to ask you, like, whenever you're watching your favorite bloggers or something, when you see the news of the modern world, how does that make you feel? What is the primary emotion that you experience during that time? Honestly, uh, considering my personal um, experience, uh, I would say that uh, the most... uh, fundamental emotion in the spectrum uh, I experience is uh, anxiety uh, because uh, I think it's obvious why uh, our world nowadays is not very stable and it's not very safe and uh, I would I would highlight anxiety as the primary emotion I experience uh, when I uh, receive informations from news outlets I can I can certainly understand that because to be honest, whenever I'm reading the news, I always fear feel anger, like extreme anger at what's going on because of the injustice and the unfairness of what's going on. But at the same time, uh, I found a very good article about that, a very good research on the emotional payload in the headlines of the media outlets. This research was taken 19 years in the making. And this research analyzed 23 million headlines from 47 news media outlets. And those news media outlets... Yeah, it's absolutely fantastic. I I was so surprised when I found this. And those um, outlets were Politico, Reuters, Washington Post, uh, Huffington Post, New York Times, Washington Times, like all the major United States news media. And to be honest, I also read them, so it's quite relatable to me. And there are very interesting figures here. So, for example, in the year 2000, 6% of the total headlines were having um, an emotional payload of anger. And in 2019, this number changed to 12%. So that's a 100% increase. Disgust uh, grew by 29%. Fear 
was taking place in 6% of the headlines in the year 2000. Right now, in 2019, to be more precise, it's taken 15%. So that's a 150% increase. All of those emotions, those are extremely negative emotions. And uh, the last one that I wanted to, the last two that I wanted to mention is the sadness. People felt sadness in the year 2000 with 7% of the articles, and in 2018 it was 12% of the articles. And the most important one, in my opinion, is the neutrality, neutral emotions. So people were experiencing experiencing neutral emotions in 70% of the cases in the year 2000. Right now it's 47%. 47. So we switch to the more emotional side of the news. And I think it's extremely important to stop on those emotions. So uh, basically, you want to highlight that uh, general trends are, uh, are next. Uh, the emotional um, part of news is growing over time. So uh, negative emotions, negative and, emotions. Yeah, and and to if we if we let's say starting to analyze those uh, trends more precisely, we see that negative trend on uh, experiencing negative emotions from news is increasing, and trend on experiencing positive emotion from use is decreasing like am i right positive or neutral yes yes so like in your opinion what is the reason for this uh, and uh, if uh, like when we, when we start talking about the reasons i want to i want you to you know tell it out loud for our listeners in your opinion uh, reasons are coming from uh, reality of the world we are living in or the reasons of why the headlines and the content in those news outlets is like this coming from uh, offices of the uh, content production firms like those magazines and newspapers uh, where is the root of modern trends like this is what i want to to figure out that's the question i want to figure out as well to be honest i'm not 100 percent sure even in my opinion on that topic i have two thoughts about that first one is that maybe it's connected to the fact that people demand something like that because people want to see some negativity i think you heard about the term it came up recently doom scrolling okay so doom scrolling is basically an idea when you're reading negative news just to get some positive emotions which in turn appear only because you know that this is not happening to you so basically, people are demanding some uh, roller coaster uh, impression from uh, uh, from the news outlet uh, they are consuming, and 
considering the demand on this roller coaster emotions uh, among uh, consumers, the news outlets are preparing this type of content. So this is uh, your theory. That's one of the theories, yeah, give or take. On the other hand, I have a second theory. And like I said, I'm not sure even between those two theories, any any one of those can be right or wrong at the same time. So the second part is that maybe they uh, consciously made the decision to switch to the more emotional side because it is it is making people buy their newspapers more um, more regularly because when they see bad news, they think that those people represent the harsh truths of the world or something like that. So maybe they just want to switch the perception of reality. And that's their point. And that's what people are looking for. Not for a roller coaster of emotions, but for some hidden truths that were lying in a plain sight and now are uncovered. Maybe it's something like that, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Very interestingly. But uh, whatever it is, according to whatever theory we uh, decide to consider, we can um, agree upon the um, fact that people are looking for some ways to uh, stimulate their feelings and to entertain them consciously or unconsciously. And this is the main driver of uh, the trends uh, we, we see currently in, uh, in media. Uh, what do you think about uh, my I, summaries? I think this is a really correct summary and really good and very succinct at this because... It's very hard to analyze what's the root cause of all of this. It's almost impossible, in my opinion. We can only theorize about this right now. Unless we get into the heads of, I don't know, five, six hundred millions of people. <laughs> yes, definitely. I'm not sure if it's possible right now, but like, if you, if you want to figure out if it's possible or not, you can listen to our previous podcast. I think it was, uh, what was it? It was episode episode uh, five where we're talking about uh, possibilities of modern technologies about uh, brain chips yeah, uh, yeah. narrowing uh, I think with, with this technology we will be able to figure out what's going on in minds of uh, hundreds of thousands of people so if you are curious in this topic you can listen to, to that episode and um, talking about our trends in uh, modern media environment, uh, I think it's uh, it's impossible to, you know, go around uh, trends uh, within social media industry. And uh, I really think that we should uh, pay some attention to what's going on uh, in uh, terms of uh, what's going on in social media in terms of uh, impact of algorithms on what content people see and uh, what people um, how it shapes the perception of uh, the world for many people and uh, what can you tell us about the 
I think the most recent recent phenomenon of political radicalizations first for the United States, uh, where people uh, are Ooh. experiencing this. Uh, I'm uh, not sure it's only in the United States. <laughs> yeah, like, but what, what is your opinion? How how serious the issue is with this uh, algorithm? Uh, selection of the content people would uh, accept and would not and uh, how strong uh, how strong is impact of this uh, phenomenon on the society in your opinion I think there is a huge irony in that to be honest because um, I'm sure I'm 100% positive that you heard about the quote that internet would connect us all and would give us the way to be connected to all the people across the globe. And especially it was said about Facebook. And then after 20 years, or I don't know how many years ago the Facebook was created, um, we see that the algorithms actually drive people apart much quicker because whenever you have some belief, some radical belief, it gives you a group of believers in this radical idea as well so you can basically secularize, secularize yourselves and seclude yourself apart from the world and start boiling in your radical ideas and that happens on all sides of the spectrum and I think it's completely terrible on one hand on the other hand it's logical because what drives the companies Uh, revenue, of course. Yeah, and how do you create revenue by giving people what they want? So yeah, I really, I really think that's uh, quite ironic that uh, these those trends are taking place in our modern world, and <laughs> that it's true that internet was supposed to unite us, but instead uh, we see the most, I think, impressive examples of dividing the society into different and what is dangerous, very polarized groups. And uh, I really hope that uh, events which are uh, happening in some, in some social media will uh, repeat themselves in other social media. Of course, I'm talking about uh, X, Purchased, purchased Twitter, which uh, thanks God changed a little its approach to, you know, uh, to censorship. A, yeah, to censorship in simple terms. Yeah, and uh, I really, I really hope that uh, it is the sign that healing of uh, media is possible and uh, that it will. It will take place in our social media platforms as well, and it will be the solution for us. So, uh, what do you think about it? Uh, I think it should be the solution, and I really hope it will be. But I also wanted to ask you one thing. What do you think will be the consequences of this radicalization all across the globe? Like, how dangerous it can get, in your opinion? Honestly, uh, it's always hard to give uh, all types of forecasts uh, and uh, it's not possible to be precise in, in, in what will happen. But uh, I really think that 
those trends are dangerous. And uh, we know that every time people are getting divided, the consequence of this division is always collision and conflict of uh, those groups of people. And it's possible, it's possible that uh, political radicalization can uh, lead to violence. Of course, I, I don't want to you know, estimate the scale of this violence, especially considering my experience of talking to many different people who, for example, left the United States because uh, literally they are afraid of civil war. I don't want to, you know, uh, tell out loud those uh, scary words. And yeah, I, I don't want get... to, you know, uh, draw, draw a picture where everything is so negative and pessimistic. But definitely the risk of uh, violence spreading spreading in our real world uh, is real and it's really the thing we as humanity in general have to avoid it's definitely not only a problem of united states it's the problem um, even in uh, europe a lot of that yes, is happening this is the problem uh, which exists for different societies all over the globe and we must be careful with this and uh, we should always uh, feel this you know uh, edge we should not cross where the you know arguments are you know translating themselves into violence uh, this is my opinion and i really i really hope that uh, mankind will have enough reason <laughs> and uh, understanding that we do not need violence, we should avoid it uh, on any coast. This is, my, this is what I think. Yeah, I think it would be really good if we wouldn't come to Ultima Ratio Regium, the last proof of the kings, so to speak, which is war or violence. So yeah, I think it would be really great. But apart from this trend of political radicalization, I just wanted to ask you, maybe there is something else that's going on with the mass media that's changing the perspective of the world right now. Maybe some new behavior patterns or something like that that can uh, affect the social life, the public life, something like that? Uh, surely, surely. Uh, there are a lot, actually. Uh, first of all, uh, and especially it became uh, apparent during the COVID times, is the switching uh, of uh, consumer behavior into more, uh, more of online mode. Uh, people are uh, making more and more purchases online and uh, Basically, it drives revenue. Uh, it, it really depends what share of revenue. Uh, but it definitely drives revenue for many businesses all over the world. And the social media platforms and uh, uh, search engines and uh, other platforms uh, are becoming a very important element of modern economy because they are the placements for uh, placing ads 
And I remember that uh, fantastic video where there was a trial or there was a trial in uh, in the United States and Mr. Zuckerberg was in um, in in Senate or in Congress, yeah. I don't know. Senate, <laughs> ah, yes, he was in Senate. And um, the yeah, senator, like senator asked him, uh, Mr. Zuckerberg, uh, you declaring that uh, Facebook is free to use for everyone and... Um, mm, Basically, you, you don't change this policy. So the question is, how do you keep uh, this uh, company uh, profitable? And this like quote, Senator Viron adds, became uh, in professional circles uh, real meme. And uh, yes, Senator Viron adds, and this is uh, this is the very short. Uh, explanation of what's going on in uh, modern media landscape and uh, since modern media landscapes landscape um, moves into web uh, quicker and quicker and uh, I think very soon we will experience the reality that 100% of media are uh, in in one way or another are coming from uh, internet uh, the consumption of uh, ads also moves there and uh, what is uh, what is the benefits and interests of businesses is obvious but uh, what's more interesting what is the benefits or risks for uh, users. It's a very important topic because uh, currently we have a new phenomenon called um, economics, economy of attention. Mm-hmm. So uh, maybe some people heard expression that there is I a haven't. service. <laughs> so I will I will spread this knowledge with you and with our listeners. Um, so maybe maybe people heard uh, an expression that if there is a service, whatever it is, social media or a website, where uh, there is no fee for using this uh, service, the the product is not the service itself, but it's it's your it's you. <laughs> And to be more precisely, your attention. So basically, your attention is being sold to advertisers. And uh, since this model becomes more and more commercialized, it creates new risks for users. Uh, What are those risks? Uh, Primarily, uh, users, internet users, whoever searching for something in the web or using social media should be aware that the goal for all adver- all um, not advertisers but uh, those people who create the websites services whatever the main goal for them is keep their attention as long as possible on their ser- service it provides them opportunity to play ads in front of those people um, using their service. 
And uh, this is basically the source of revenue for, for website owners, for different web services owners. And people should be aware that those people, those owners of web services will do everything to trick you to, to stick your attention to their service for as long period of time as possible. And uh, that phenomenon of doom scrolling, of uh, excessive content consumption, uh, it's very widespread in, in our modern world and it exists for a reason. It exists not because people are, people are lazy or people are, <laughs> I don't know, uh, for some reason don't want to live in a real life, go play football or have a, you know, walk in a park. For, um, for like, I, I would not say like for some level of, some amount of percents, but very big um, reason why people are spending so much time in uh, consuming some content is because they are being tricked. Companies are using different methods to keep attention of users and people should be aware of this and uh, develop some methods of web uh, hygiene and uh, think about their you know, interests uh, and saving their own time. I have two questions on that part. So basically, sure. uh, the first one would be, is it only like a matter of hygiene or and tricking the customer well, or the user into spending more time? Or is it a question of addiction? Because I, I'm not sure about you, but I definitely met people who are addicted to social media, like they can't live without social media what do you think about that maybe that's not a trickery maybe it's just a new type of addiction of people uh, those things are very uh, interconnected and two of them are definitely exist and the, the only question uh, out there is what is the uh, root cause and what is the consequences mm -hmm. uh, the root cause definitely is uh, the system of tricking of uh, human psychology by uh, the software companies, by YouTube, by Google, by Facebook. And the addiction is the uh, consequence of those uh, methods and tactics. Two of them exist uh, at the same time and people should be aware that they can be victims of this newborn addiction, uh, they can uh, become addicted very, very quickly. And uh, this addiction might be as serious as any other type of addiction. And we Especially should psychological. Not, absolutely, yes. And we should not pretend that it doesn't exist. It exists and exists for a reason. And the reason is always uh, commercial, Companies are seeking for revenue, and uh, as always, just regular people becoming victims of, of those uh, trends. Yeah, it's extremely dangerous, in my opinion, as well. But um, 
why do you think that the addiction is the consequence of the uh, trickery? Why it's not the other way around? Why the companies not just use the standard patterns of human behavior in order to utilize them and profit and capitalize on them? Uh, the addiction is a consequence because companies are using methods and they are not even pretending that they are not <laughs> of creating those addictions. Uh, they use system of uh, effort and reward which creates this addiction. So you post a picture and uh, for example, service Instagram, it provides you with a reward in uh, form of likes and comments. And Facebook, Meta, Meta, this company called Meta right now, uh, they are aware of uh, patterns of human behavior and they are taking advantage of them. So uh, that's why the button of like is has red color. So when people see the notification with these, you know, hot colors, they have uh, a respective reaction in their brain that it is something important. And after uh, quite a few iterations of this trick, addiction is created. First, firstly, it's just a habit. Later, it turns into addiction for many people. But considering the topic, what is the root, root cause, and what is the consequence, the root cause is definitely policy of those companies, and there should be no, um, let's say, doubts uh, why it's happening and uh, what's happening, what's exactly, what exactly is happening. Mm-hmm. Got it. Thank you so much for that. Very detailed. And I had a second question on that. Um, so you mentioned some risks to the users. And what are those risks apart from the obvious like addiction and, you know, losing your health or your eyes by looking at the small screen for too long? Um, it's hard to say uh, it's hard you know to cover all possible risks uh, but uh, like the key risks in that case the key risks we which are not you know connected to some uh, very individual behavior in some individual actions is uh, psychological consequences for a human being depression uh, feeling of uh, loneliness feeling of unsatisfaction with uh, your uh, level of life are the main uh, consequences and all of them are uh, primarily psychological and uh, those are the risks which you are exposed to uh, really independently whether you are uh, just scrolling the news feed every single day or like 15 times a day or you're doing something else besides that and what's important i really want to mention it uh, is to take care of your uh, attention take care of your time take care of your uh, brain uh, you should uh, limit time you are spending in in social media there are different uh, apps 
which can track the time and notify you that it's time to stop scrolling. Also, very good tip I can give is to uh, turn your device into black-white mode. And uh, this will give you a chance to avoid uh, those tricks with bright colors, which are, you know, tricking, literally tricking the human brain. And you will not, you will be less exposed to the threats and risks posed by those uh, technologies. And of course, we should always uh, stay um, concentrated on our interests and think, think primarily about our health and uh, time. So this is, this is the, the advices and insights I can give to our listeners regarding the, the trends in media in, in, in this field. So thank you so much for, for listening. Thank you for those fantastic advices. And also, I, I think we can discuss psychology in a bit more detail on one of our next episodes. That's a topic I'd really love to explore a bit deeper, especially with all the recent trends of, um, once again, social media, with how people view psychology, and especially with some of the uh, very widespread uh, misleading information about psychology. So I think that would be a good topic to explore. And in that case, I would ask thank you for your time. Thank you for having this fantastic and captivating discussion. And I think we can wrap up today's episode. Sure, sure. I absolutely agree with you on this regard, Artem. It was a pleasure for me to hold this discussion with you again. And really, I'm really looking forward for our uh, next week episode. And uh, I want to say thank you once again for uh, spending this fascinating hour uh, with me talking about uh, newest trends and oldest trends in the media. And I want to say thank you to our listeners for dedicating their time and spending this hour with us. See you next week. I will also thank our listeners. Thank you for your time. And whenever you're listening to us, have a fantastic afternoon, good evening, and good night. We'll catch you on the next one.